Tazzy footy tales will never not respect anyone who listens. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tazzy Footy Tales. I'm Josh McGuinness and I'm here with Nat Franklin again, mate. How are you, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Pretty sad week for uh, footy players all around the country, but fingers crossed we'll get to watch a bit tomorrow night. Yeah, pretty flat. I think the AFL just about to make their decision now. But in the meantime, all Tassie football fans are going to be really flat at this stage. No community footy, no state league footy until the end of May. Could be longer, potentially. But... In the meantime, Tassie Footy Tales is going to pick up the slack. <laughs> and we have got in a ripper of a guest this week. This bloke has played for more clubs than he hasn't <laughs> in Tasmania. <laughs> I think it's at about 11 or 12 clubs. But we'd like to welcome the great Clint Brown onto the podcast. How are you, mate? Good, fellas. Thanks for having me. Is that, is that all you're going to give us? I'm sure with uh, the week that's been, with everyone being down, I'm really going to be a good pick-me-up for most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got, some, um, we've got some good stories down here that we've spoken about. and You've obviously been involved in footy for a long time, and it all started for you um, up in the Sunshine State, Queensland, mate. Tell us about growing up and, I guess, your footy as a junior. Uh, yes, so born and raised in uh, Queensland. Uh, my parents moved up there in 1972. So uh, obviously dad, being a Queenstown boy, got me into Aussie rules at the age of eight, um, which was always tough given that most of uh, the schools I went to all played rugby league. So I played rugby league as well and got to an age where I had to choose between the two and my love for, uh, for Aussie rules continued. Yeah, that's good to hear, mate. So you made the move down to Tassie in 1998. That was the year I was born. How old were you then? <laughs> uh, I was 18. Thanks for uh, <laughs> highlighting that, Nat. I appreciate that. Uh, I actually got a letter from the Burnie Football Club in early the summer of 97. Um, that was when Peter German was coaching. But then uh, he got a job with Hawthorne, I think, at the time. So I didn't end up coming down. And then about two weeks before the start of the season, decided to go down and have a crack. Went and watched round one, Burnie versus Devonport at Devonport Oval. There's about 5,500 people there, and I thought, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Wouldn't mind uh, sticking around and having a go at it. It would have been on as well, Burnie and Devonport, wouldn't it? Yes, might. yes. It was, uh, Windy was his, the first coach there, and um, big rivalry always between Burnie and Devonport. And there was a couple of nice uh, all-in brawls that I think, <laughs> I remember Marcus Bourne got four weeks for kneeing someone in the head. Just in that game you've just come in, down Just in that game. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was really, I think Bernie won by a point. So, you yeah, know, it was a good game and a great atmosphere. So for Bernie to sort of send you a letter, you must have played some sort of rep footy or something up in Queensland for them to sort of notice you and send you a letter? Uh, I think it was more so having a few family members that uh, were associated with the Burnie Football Club and they knew that I'd played Till Cup at that time, uh, which was under-17s, and uh, I think they just got in touch with me with me that way. Oh, cool. Um, you've also played, oh, when you moved to Burnie, you've obviously had a successful period, but you've played under a lot of good coaches um, in your time. Did you want to mention a few of those and maybe talk about some of the traits they had and what you've been able to take from them that you can add to your coaching now? Yeah, look, I, I've had some really, really good coaches and uh, obviously Windy was my first coach um, at Burnie. Before that, I played uh, a lot of junior football under Craig Britton, who was Wayne Britton's brother, 
that was the coach of Carlton. Coach Carlton, yeah. Um, and he was really, uh, really influential in my career up in uh, Queensland. Uh, then obviously Mick McGowan stepped in after after Windy uh, finished up and come back to Clarence. And Mick's probably one of the probably the best coach I've ever had in terms of um, tactical and just the way he can motivate players. Like you could be anywhere from dead to flat and he could get you up for anything. Just the way he used to get the most out of players from just the way he spoke was just unbelievable. And of course, he not only tested you on the field, he tested you off the field. You know, he'd uh, take you out on a Saturday night as a young fella, <laughs> get you absolutely rotten. Uh, you'd be walking home, staggering home at four o'clock in the morning, be back on your doorstep at 7am saying, right, are we going for a Sunday sesh? <laughs> and then he'd turn around and flog you on the Monday night of training. <laughs> so that was... Was he uh, playing coach or...? No, he only just coached. He's, his body was pretty much clapped by that stage and... Uh, no, he just coached. Um, so Mick, Mick was involved with the AFL with a lot, wasn't he? He, he played, uh, did he play AFL footy? Mick was uh, Collingwood champion, Copeland yeah. Trophy winner, 1990 Premiership player, uh, and then obviously finished his, he had one year at Carlton, which he, which he uh, boasts probably, about. He probably regrets, does he? No, he doesn't. He said it was the, he went over there and he got about $300,000 to play two games, so he thinks <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was, uh, he had a huge influence on my career. Um, then obviously uh, Dale Perry, Justin Plapp I played under, you know, all brought different things to their coaching. Some were more intense than others. Um, some were a bit more relaxed. Uh, Matty Armstrong at the Devils was very influential too. I, I, I got a lot out of him as a coach. Um, and even now Windy, I probably got more out of Windy now than what I am um, just coaching with him than probably what I did as a player. He certainly mellowed out a lot in the years. Yeah. You talk about Windy, um, your first night at Bernie did something go on. And it was, no, it was Wendy's first night as at Bernie. No, no, this was this was my first week at Bernie, so yeah. I decided to stay and, and play. And uh, so Bernie had played Devonport that weekend, and uh, their next game wasn't until round three because they had a bye in round two. So the Tuesday night of training, Wendy thought it'd be a good idea just to have an intra club scratch match, and it was one of your typical West Park nights where the uh, you know the sun was bright and uh, <laughs> the wind evening. was smashing in off the Bass Strait, and the rain was coming in sideways, and I. This practice game, I think, went for about three hours, and by that time, there was a lot of frustration starting to set in. I think uh, Windy had kicked nine on one poor uh, 17-year-old in the pocket and was telling him about it the whole yeah. game, and Errol Bourne decided that that was enough, and he got the footy and kicked it over the grandstand into the ocean, and that uh, prompted Stephen Jackson to have a few words to Errol, which resulted in a big punch on that went for about five minutes, and... Um, a lot of us young guys at the time just stood back and didn't know what was going on. And I just remember looking out the corner of my eye and seeing Windy standing at centre-half forward up the other end with his arms folded with a dirty, big, cheesy grin on his face. <laughs> so I think coming from uh, his years at Clarence and seeing what was unfolding there at training, I think he thought it was funny. Were these the same days that you guys had to do crisscross handball with bricks? No, that was a couple of years later when... Um, <laughs> We had a, we had a, West Park was closed one night and Nick Probert was the coach at the time and he asked Dale Wish Wilson, one of the Bernie club legends, to come and take training for a night. Well, there wasn't much we could do, so we went down the back change rooms, which was a, our warm-up area, and Wish thought it would be a great idea to uh, get some bricks out and do crisscross handling and work <laughs> handling. And as you could imagine, and I'll, I'll touch on Wish a bit later, uh, there was no going soft or anything like that or going easy and there was bricks smashing into people's fingers. I mean, there's some sessions down at Lordown in the middle of winter where you rock up, the snow's coming off the mountain, but I'd prefer to train 
three degrees and do Chris Connell with rocks <laughs> with, um, with bricks. That's tough work. Now you've also um, you've also been involved with footy with Wayne Johnson, the dominator, the great Colton legend. I'm a big Colton fan myself. Um, and you've also got a good story about just how tough this bloke is. Can you can you mention <laughs> something about his coaching style? Yeah, I probably got. Uh... I got Jono at the stage where I think he was still in his a bit of his party boy life and um, I was only young, we were 17 and um, still still really good and some of the stories and the way he trained himself was just outstanding. You could tell he played at the high level for a long time but there was this one day we were playing, uh, we were a QAFL club at Kedron Grange and uh, we were playing like a second division Queensland, a Brisbane side and it was mostly just young guys and guys are in their first and second year of senior footy. And there was a few of these bush footy players who were just really starting to whack a few of us young ones off, off the ball. And old Jono wasn't really liking it too much. And if you remember Jono from his days in the uh, Battle of Britain and things like that, he, he didn't keep his hands in his pockets. <laughs> anyway, so I can remember Jono walking up to the uh, property steward at half time and said uh, it was pretty much shorts and socks, socks thanks, mate. So Jono's put on his shorts and socks, grabbed a jumper, he's run out in his, in his joggers and uh, he's lined up on this bloke on the centre wing and as the ball come up, Jono's just turned around and gone whack, dropped him, knocked him clean out and then just jogged off the field <laughs> and continued coaching behind the <laughs> to which the umpire started chasing him over and said, Jono, I'm putting you on report and Jono goes, that's okay, I'll never play again anyway. <laughs> he wasn't going to stand for us young blokes getting knocked off the ball and he'd continuously warn them in the second quarter if they didn't stop it <laughs> that yeah. something would happen. No, he, was pretty, he was pretty hard, obviously a Carlton legend and um, is going to go down as one of the best players to, to don the navy blue. But but we might have to get him on the podcast, mate. Well, is he a chance? Would you be able I'm to not sure. Up? I could probably uh, see what I could do. He's, he's, I think he's known at Carlton as Mr. Finals. He was one yeah. guy that always used to stand up in the big games. Yeah, obviously Carlton in a successful era. I've also heard a story, I don't know if you've told me, about his sons. on the foot, he, he lost one of his sons playing a footy game. Is this true? Yeah, so he had twin boys, and, and I can remember them all running around with... Um, with Craig Britton's young fellow, because they were all about the same age. They used to run around a train and just belt the hell out of one another at a train. And it was <laughs> funny, one would come over to the blood nose and it'd be like, oh, well, harden up, <laughs> off they go. But yeah, I, they were playing in an, uh, I think it was an under 14 or under 15 game up in Queensland, and he uh, had some sort of uh, aneurysm and yeah. dropped dead at the other end of the ground, which is pretty sad. Is it true that his twin brother also passed out at exactly the same time at the other end of the ground? That's that's what I was told that it went down. Yeah, mm. there you go. Which is it pretty is. freaky. Yeah, that is. Did hear that story. Mm. Quite sad. Sorry to hear that, Dominator, but thanks for featuring on the podcast. Mm. Um, at Bernie as well, mate, obviously a very successful era. I think you won five flags, was it, at Bernie? Yeah, we won uh, five in a row, 2001 to 2005. Must have been quite nice to be that successful. <laughs> yeah, it was, and I think I spoke to you boys a couple of weeks ago, you just don't realise how lucky you were until, until you actually finish and how hard they are to get. But, yeah, mm. no, some really, really good times in that uh, in that stretch. Yeah, must have played with some half-decent players through that time as well at the club. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it probably comes back to, to Windy's time as well because uh, it was his second year and a lot of the older guys that were playing at Burnie at the time left, um, which meant that uh, a lot of us young guys, and we played in the 98 twos Grand Premiership at Burnie and a lot of those guys kept coming through and that made up the nucleus of our, our Premiership sides in 0105 and we were lucky enough to get a few guys back in that time. The Bournes come back and played, um, Johnny Braslin and guys like that come back and played. So, yeah, yeah we had a really good side. Mm. Uh, you talk about uh, the footy on the northwest coast. 
Um, it means a lot to the people up there. And how do you think it, it compares to like today? Yeah, no, they're still pretty strong about their footy. Um, the love that the Northwest Coast people have for their footy is probably you know, it's something to you just can't fathom. Uh, compare that to the Southern and there's just such a big difference. I mean, mm. I can still remember going from Burnie to Devonport and playing and uh, the amount of hatred <laughs> that I got mm. from people in Burnie mm. that, you know, just they just wouldn't accept that you'd gone to the Crosstown rival and that it's just the way they are. Yeah. You actually did that as well yourself, didn't you? I did. I went over there after 05. We just won our fifth flag and um, there was a bit of controversy with the uh, the non-reappointment of Errol and... A few of us decided that that wasn't good enough and a couple went to Penguin, a couple went decided not to play and I, of course, made the decision to go to Devonport and uh, at that time I was playing Devil's Footy so I got the write-up in the paper about the exodus and um, <laughs> that didn't go down real well with it with a few of the locals. Was that discussion a discussion you guys had with Errol or was that... What did he do? Did he step away from football? No, he actually he... went and coached uh, Penguin at Penguin, yeah. uh, where my, my brother went there as well. And that was I was actually learning to go with him. But then Brad Davis stepped in as coach of uh, Bernie, and uh, Brad was ringing me as well. And it was like, well, both of them were really good mates, and I didn't want to favour one over the other. So And money talks. No, I actually didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's funny you say that. I, everyone thinks that that's the reason I went. But I, I actually got less money to go to Devonport than I, I was on at Bernie. If I yeah, wanted to go for money... I could have gone down to Smith and for a lot of money <laughs> oh, and some cows. <laughs> Circular head. Unfortunately, Smith had gone under in the past 12 months. Yeah, oh, well, Blighty was, uh, Blighty was coaching Smith at the time and he was in to be hard. I had a few meetings with him and, uh, look, the offer that they put to me was really, really tempting, but driving, uh, driving an hour each way and back down to Table Cape wasn't, uh, wasn't yeah, pretty wasn't that appetising. Oh, it is beautiful, <laughs> except it's dark. <laughs> you don't really see much. It's freezing cold. Yeah. Oh, look, their facilities have all been done up since then. It's all it's yeah. changed a lot. So it's, hopefully the um, the Smithton people can get up and going again mm. because, you know, one thing yeah. about playing down at Smithton, you, you knew exactly who you were playing against and had some good uh, good matchups down it's there. It's a massive community, though, yeah. Circular Head, isn't it? Like it's, I don't know how they can't get a team up. I, it's just, I think it's one of those things that you see across um, social you know, everywhere. It's yeah. just people have got other interests now and work takes seven days a week and things like that and that's just yeah. dropped away. Coronavirus. Young, coronavirus. coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> Young people are lazy these days. Yeah, they are. Uh, you touched on uh, playing at the Devils. Uh, how was that experience uh, for you as a young fella? And give, just give us a bit on that. Yeah, well, I was about 26 or 27, so I was probably, uh, I was probably in the middle of my career. Uh, look, it was probably the best decision I ever made. As hard as it was, I really enjoyed every minute of it. Um, to go and rub shoulders with some of the guys that you, you played with and then to, to some of the opposition you come up against too. I mean, I was lucky enough to play on Gary Abler Jr., Jimmy Bartell, yeah. um, Lee Montagna, you know, guys like that. And mm. you just look at it and go, wow, I actually got to play on them. That was, yeah. that was pretty good. At that um, age, was it still like a bit of a – and all through your footy career, was there still that sort of like in the back of your mind, like I really want to push and may potentially play AFL or – yeah, no, look, that was never going to happen. They, don't, they <laughs> generally don't draft blokes that are five foot seven and can only kick the ball 40 metres. <laughs> 40, that's generous. I'd say 30. <laughs> that, was, that was the West Park 50 I was measuring on. <laughs> yeah. No, look, I, that was never in my mind. It was just uh, the opportunity to, to actually play at that level. And um, look, 
what we did was quite silly. I mean, we used to we used to finish at work on a one, uh, Wednesday at one o'clock, and we'd drive all the way to Perth, where we would meet um, Dickie Spencer, who would chuck us in the back of his Jeep Cherokee, and we'd drive all the way down to train and get out, train, get dressed, and then uh, pretty much come straight back home. We wouldn't get home till eleven thirty, and I think there was like a ten week stretch going into the finals where we were doing that every Wednesday night, which is yeah. which is pretty tough. Yeah. I'd, Still remember one night coming home and there was me, Jason Ling and Matthew Smith we were all asleep in the Cherokee and Dickie must have hit a wombat going about 110 <laughs> kilometres an hour and we felt the car get airborne and then just bang, bang, bang on the road and then uh, we all woke up with the look of fear in our eyes and he just looked at us and went, wombat. <laughs> be dead now, I reckon. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but we didn't go to sleep again. <laughs> yeah, um, in those devil's days, you mentioned you were obviously driving from Bernie every week. A few times you, Wuffy, uh, Matthew Smith and Jason Ling used to do a few car trips up and down and from the, the northwest coast, it's about four hours it would be from Hobart to Bernie. So it is a, a long time. Yep. What sort of things did you do to, <laughs> to pass the time on those trips? Yeah, look, we, we, we did occasionally play some uh, some silly games that you look back on now and go, oh, quite dumb. You know, there was a couple of times where we drove along with uh, with the headlights off and things like that, which was, which was not real bright. And... Or there was an occasion where we decided to take all our clothes off and put the windows down in the middle of winter, have the aircon blaring to see who could last the longest. Before they said enough's enough. Uh, I remember one night we pulled into uh, Westbury because uh, we were peckish and we always used to take in turns of driving. Well, this one night we had actually finished training early, so we got to Westbury by about nine o'clock. And uh, Lingy and Wuffy ran and sat back in the car early, and I'd already done my chance uh, to turn to drive. And got back in there and I said, I'm not driving. I spat the dummy. I said, I'm not driving. And somebody else has turned. So we all sat there. And I reckon three hours later, we were still sitting there. <laughs> no one was giving in as to who drove. And in the end, Shahid Lingy spat it. <laughs> and he jumped in and he drove the whole way home. And we weren't allowed to have any radio. <laughs> he he fully chucked the silks and wouldn't let us do it. He's a, he's a funny man, Lingy. I went on a little trip with him a couple of years ago over to Blacktown for a week with the kickstart boys and he's a very funny man he is oh he is he is we had some good times we stitched wuffy up one night i, I messaged lingy who was in the front seat and i said just go along with this and i got the flash on my phone and i flashed it in the car and i said oh i think that was a speed camera mate so wuffy's panicked he's pulled the handbrake on and he's gone back and he goes where do you reckon it was because he had no points left on his license <laughs> so he's gone back and he's up in the bush for about 25 minutes looking for the speed camera. <laughs> sitting in the car in stitches. We had to break it to him in the end. It was just, <laughs> was just a while. So just on that, um, on the aircon, how long did you last with that? Oh, God, it would have been a good half an hour, 40 oh, minutes, yeah. Who was usually the first to crash? <laughs> probably me. <laughs> <laughs> Being the oldest, I tried to be a bit sensible in the end and thought, no, this is, this is just stupid. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So after that time, you um, decided to move your hand to a bit of coaching. Um, North Hobart was the first? Or... It was, yep. yep. Oh, well, I'd, uh, I'd coached Bernie's under-17s before that, uh, which we won a flag, and had some good players on that team. I had Lukey Russell, uh, Mav Weller was coming through that side, so I was pretty, oh, yeah. pretty lucky in terms of uh, talent. And then, uh, yeah, I got the job at North Hobart doing the seniors in 2010, so relocated down here to, to have a go at that. And never looked back since. Yeah, that went well, didn't it? <laughs> Do you wanna, would you like to touch on that? It's like, so 2010 it was, you think, was it two seasons you were there? 
Uh, one and one a half. half yeah. yeah, so <laughs> we'll round up. Took, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I took over the team, which I um, uh, was. It was pretty hard. I mean, I didn't know many people down here in terms of like close. I mean, I'd play with a lot of guys, but uh, getting people to come and be assistant coaches was tough, and um, probably tried to do it all myself, which was yeah. um, which probably wasn't the easiest thing given that I was a player coach. Uh, first year we got to the finals. Um, we managed to win three finals, I think, and then we lost to Devonport by two points up in Devonport in a really lovely, typical Northwest Coast day. Sunny, beautiful. Yeah, it was <laughs> 41 degrees. Um, and they ended up going on to making the grand final. So we were pretty close, but, you know, my first year, the, the twos made the grand final, the under-18s made the finals, which they hadn't in the previous year, and, of course, the seniors got to um, about third or fourth, so that was, that was a good result. Then in the second year, uh, yeah, I, we actually started off like a house on fire. We beat uh, we beat Glenorchy out of Glenorchy by eight goals when they had Acker and everyone playing yeah. for them. Uh, we had a real bad loss to Launceston by about a hundred points, um, which didn't go real down well with uh, with some of their board. <laughs> um, and basically, yeah, I, I I my last game was against Lauderdale. We lost by seventeen points, which we should have won. Uh, and that was it. They got called me in on the Monday and said that uh, they didn't think I could turn the season around. And yeah. So, how I read it is, you've lost to Lauderdale and Windy was coaching. So he's actually ended up getting you sacked, Windy, and now you're coaching under him. It was one of his ploys. <laughs> it was one of his ploys, I think, to get him get me here so I could help him win one. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it went. And I can still remember. The start of the 2011 year, we had the uh, season launch and I was standing next to Windy when all the coaches were up on the on the uh, stage and they were giving me a big pump up in the side and how we should go further than last year. And Windy goes, in my ear, he goes, there's a bit of pressure on you this year. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just typical of Windy, just yeah. playing the mind games. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, did you agree with how the club handled it all? Like, so you, the club wasn't, North Hobart weren't going terrible that year. Uh, we actually we were in the five at that point in time. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd beat Bernie, who went on to make the grand final, and as I said, we'd beat Glenorchy. We'd lost, had a really bad loss to to Lonnie, and then I lost to Lauderdale, who weren't uh, weren't that strong at the time. Um, look, there's probably a few things that went on that the club weren't real happy with. Um, there's obviously the way I dealt with Robbie Devine the year before, um, that some of the old stalwarts weren't happy with. Um, I did used to have a bit of chatter with the umpires, which uh, some of the board members weren't real impressed with either. And look, that there's some of the things. And look, I was only, I was only 29, so you know I was still quite young. And, and look, there, I, I certainly won't sit here and say that I did everything right. There's a lot of things I did wrong. Um, I still think I probably was a little bit hard done by, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. You decide to um, go to back, take a step back to the old scholars with Hutchins. Good choice, bad choice. Well, actually, before that. Uh, yeah, actually, actually went to the North. Yeah, I did. I went that same year. Yeah. <laughs> so I can remember after it all happened. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Kenny Hall rang me up on on the Monday and he said, "Mate, what are you going to do?" And I said, I, "I don't know. I actually have got no idea. I'll probably just stay and play." And he's like, with a few swear words in there, he's like, "Nah, you can't do that, mate. Tell him to go and get." And I went, "Oh, okay." And then within five minutes, I had Jonathan Bowering ring me up and go, "Mate, would you be interested in coming and playing with us?" And I I didn't know what to do and. Um, yeah, and then that that all that all happened, and then within a week of being out of Glenorchy, Byron Howe got the sack. <laughs> I thought, what the hell is going on? Here? <laughs> this is just this is a nightmare. But you know, I only played eight or nine games with Glenorchy, ended up making the finals. But you know, I 
it was really enjoyable and and you meet I've met guys out there that I still talk to today and that's probably one of the biggest positives out of that and by the end of that year I was pretty much over footy it was yeah. pretty, pretty how was the uh, first encounter with North Hobart after going to Brunel? well actually we played them the week I got sacked oh, and man. I decided to sit the game out I just didn't think it'd be right and sure enough the camera panned in on me sitting up in the grandstand I was eating a pie <laughs> <laughs> which was plastered all over the news and yeah look it's um it's pretty stiff yeah yeah, yeah. look I Look, we played North Hobart in the finals and we actually knocked them out. And uh, it was just, yeah, I, I actually got a bit emotional after the game. There was a bit of an altercation with Paul Allison at the end of the game. But I got a bit emotional because it's just, you know, you put a lot of hard work into the season and, and getting everyone there and talking to players and putting plans in place. And it just didn't feel right. It was just weird. Yeah. And by that stage, I was over footy. And I, um, I was actually going to go back to the old scholars, but then uh, one of my good mates decided to coach Central Hawks. The Central Hawks. <laughs> yes, the Central Hawks. What a club. Oh, slope. <laughs> I must admit, my first time dro- rocking up the training and seeing a couple of lads standing around a 44-gallon dr- drum having a beer, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what have I got myself in for. Yeah, look, it was, it, was a, it was an interesting year. We, we didn't win a game. We lost every game by about, oh, I would have been 100 points. I did all right in the William Leach that year, but, look, it certainly wasn't... Uh, Where were they based out of? Uh, they were a combination of Kempton, Bothwell and Oatlands. So we used to train at Kempton and then sometimes at Oatlands and then on a rare occasion we'd go up to Bothwell. The Rabbits. And, the Rabbits and uh, train. Yeah, it was really good. Rabbits. That one light that sits above the grandstand was <laughs> really good. It was bright enough to do about lane work kicking and that was about <laughs> it. But no, nah, look, I, I've met some blokes up there too that I still keep in contact with. It was um, That was enjoyable in terms of, of meeting different people. But it, as far as footy goes, it wasn't one of my favourite years, no. <laughs> Not with I can imagine. Game, I can imagine. And then we made the move to Hutchins. <laughs> then I made the move to Hutchins. So obviously my brother was there and yeah. uh, I'd met a few guys that um, that he was mates with and Dougie Rossett was there from my Bernie days. So I sort of made the, the transition. Yep, the commissioner. Thought I'd go down there and, uh, yeah, I look, time at Hutchins was, yeah, I loved every minute of it. Uh, obviously had good times at Bernie in terms of premierships and things like that. Made some good friends there, but my two or three years at Hutchins was, was really enjoyable. Yeah. Loved it. And One flag there, was successful, yeah. Mm. Look, it should have been three. I won't <laughs> lie. We, um, we, we choked in the 2013 grand final and then uh, the next year I was lucky enough to coach and we, uh, we got up in the 2014 one, which we were lucky with again there. With a little bit of a hiccup after the second semi. Oh yeah, <laughs> we actually got a little story on that. <laughs> yeah, would, you, we, would you like to tell that now? Yes, yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> we went in probably as the uh, as the favourite, although Dosa had been a pretty good uh, rival all year. So is this the game? If you win, you're in. Yep. But if you lose, you got the yeah. Because it's chance. a because it's a final four. Yeah. Uh, one verse two, three verse four. And uh, anyway, so we lost by about two or three points, and we should have won. I was pretty dirty after the game, so I said to the boys that none of them could go out on the Saturday night, put an alcohol ban, and said, we've only got a prelim next week, so let's get ourselves right for that. So would have killed him. It, 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 it did. <laughs> it literally nearly killed him in other ways. So, so uh, the boys, they, they, they adhered to that. They didn't go out on the Saturday night. Although they did go out on the Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a being the typical <laughs> little Hutchins boys they are, they were, uh, they were easily influenced by uh, Tom Triffitt, Lewis Franks and Claude Corso, who the, the, the boys decided, oh, I would throw Matty Wright's name in there as well. Uh, they decided to go out and get on the drinks and then um, I believe there was a few indiscretions that night that made uh, all the local newspapers and TV, uh, TV news 
Um, I don't know who it was, but it is alleged. <laughs> it is alleged that a few of the boys were blowing up letterboxes around the Hobart metropolitan area. The great, the great Hobart region. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when I, uh, I found out about that on the, uh, on the Tuesday night when we got to training and um, I had to address that. And I must admit, I, I did see a video of one of the incidents and I was trying to keep a straight face when I was telling them off. And um, Angus Brenningham more as the captain got up and addressed the group and... 45 minutes later, he was still talking, so I had to shut him up because it was going nowhere. <laughs> Just said that wasn't good enough. And, um, yeah, that, that night I actually flogged them. And then Thursday night was pretty solid training as well. And, yeah, we ended up getting up in the prelim against Richmond quite easily and then went on to win the grand final. Yeah. Innocent until proven guilty, though. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, look, the boys Video still footage. to this day say it wasn't my coaching that got us over the line. No, it was the fact it was, that they went out and lifted, it, it lifted everyone's spirits. <laughs> Hopefully the boys get another chance this year to have a Sunday session two weeks out from a granny and maybe they can go again. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure some of them would like that. <laughs> I don't know how that would go with Lance Fordy, though. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's there now. And he actually... Took over at North Hobart after you finished up there, didn't he? He did, Springer. yes. And he's been involved with the Devils and stuff? He was at the Devils. I don't think he was there when I was there. But, yeah, he has been involved with the Devils. Well, obviously, the Mariners the program for yeah. some time as yeah. well. Um, you've also got a story about the Hutchins Footy Club lock-ins, the, lo- the lock-ins at the footy club. Have, have we got a story there? Oh, lock-ins at the Hutchins Footy Club. A few club. of the Hutchins boys have asked us to... To ask you about the, the lock-ins they had at the club. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can recall what they're talking is that, about. Is that, is that something we have to shoulders arms and leave? I'm not... Uh, oh, I think there might have been one night where... <clears throat> excuse me, I... Uh, might have got a little drunk and told everyone they weren't allowed to leave and shut the doors. <laughs> I think within five minutes later I passed out and they went out anyway. <laughs> so that didn't yeah. go that well. Doors locked, curtains closed. Yeah. <laughs> Blindfolds on, keep the footage of each other. <laughs> yeah. That's a good lock in yeah, that one. Um, you've also got a, a story about the Marrower pub. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was... Uh, my, that was the first year of TSL when it first came back, um, TSL time two. Yep, 2009, and Plappy was the coach, and we were heading into the finals. We had been sitting on top of the ladder all year, nice and pretty, and I think we were about four points clear of Glenorchy. And um, we, we had two or three losses in a row. We'd lost to Cl- uh, North Hobart, and then we lost to, to um, Devonport, and the wheels were starting to get a little bit shaky. So we thought it would be a good idea or Plappy thought it would be a good idea maybe we'll just get away for the weekend and we had a buy and go down the Maribel pub and just have a couple of beers uh, that night at the footy club we had our major raffle yep. which was uh, which was a big social event and probably wasn't a good look when 42 blokes rocked back up at the Bernie footy club and Half the half the bus had passed out, and the other <laughs> half were literally fallen out. For a function. There was vomit all through the bus. Uh, no one was taking responsibility for that. And yep, uh, the end result was we went out in straight sets. <laughs> we uh, we lost the Glen. We got flogged by Glenorchy in the second semi down at uh, Bell Reve Oval. And the next week we played in the prelim against uh, Clarence. And so you finished on top. Yeah, and then Clarence had a. We had a chance to win the game after the. After the siren and uh, Plappy missed a goal, so we lost by three points. And then Clarence points. went on to win that year as well. Clarence went on to win it, yeah. yeah. And we were hoping we could get through and have another chance against Glenorchy's. We we thought we could beat them. We'd beaten them before during the year, and we had a really good showing, but um, wasn't to be. Clarence got over the line and got the chocolates in the end. Mm. All thanks to the Marrow Pub. All thanks to the Marrow Pub. <laughs>
It's good. I wonder See, how that's going. It's a good day. Yeah, as long as you had fun. <laughs> oh, I think exactly. someone got murdered there a couple of years later. So I don't think it's going that well. What about the lighthouse? Jeez, a couple of back. Yeah, mm. I did see that on uh, on the videos. So the vigilante news. Yeah, yeah. Mm. we might leave that one. I'm glad I wasn't in that. <laughs> uh, you're known as one of the oh, like veterans of footy trips, and you've never shy of a footy trip story. But where would you rate the best spot to go for a footy trip? Whoa. Um, I know a few boys that have been to Thailand. They reckon Thailand's really good. We we went to Early Beach a couple of times, and I reckon Early Beach is pretty special. Yeah, I've heard good things about Early yeah. Beach. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're probably tossing up where to go this year already, aren't we? Now, obviously, the coronavirus is a bit tough at the moment. We're thinking of having before the season starts, mate. Yeah. You probably go now. <laughs> yeah, you've got time to go now. Well, there's going to be cheap airfares come up soon and cheap accommodation, so might as well make the use of most of that. Why not? Do you have any good footy trip stories for us? Uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to incriminate yourself. You can just incriminate yeah. others. Or maybe best performer on a footy trip you've seen? Oh, I think Wuffy Smith was outstanding one one. Footy trip, I don't think he went to sleep the whole six days. Oh, six days? He put on probably about 10 kilo in that time. And he was just, by the end of it, was just a sloppy mess that no one wanted to talk to. He was just, he was off the show. He prided himself on, on those type of events. He would, all year, would hardly drink, train. You know, he got the most out of himself with footy. But then when it come to celebrating at the end, let it all go. he made the most of yeah. it. Yeah, he was an absolute disgrace. Good, good man. Yeah. yeah. He was actually... Uh, one time after one of our premierships, this is typical Wuffy, was uh, we were walking down to get something to eat from the little corner store in Burnie, and he decided to strip butt naked and uh, go through the BP car wash because someone had told him he stunk. So he's <laughs> gone and stuck his $2 in the machine to get the big bristles going, and he's just walked through it, stood in the middle of it, and all the brushes were hitting him anyway. It wasn't until about an hour later when he started to sober up. He'd look like he'd had... A thousand paper cuts all over oh. his body from the from the bristles, and he was, Scratch, he, he was in absolute agony. Oh. But it was a good idea at the time. All funny games at the time. Yeah. Isn't it? it would have been funny to see. Yeah, bloody <laughs> um, so we talk about footy. Who can perform on footy trip? But who do you reckon can perform best on the field in Tasmania that you've seen? Uh, well, I'll probably go back to to my days with Bernie. Uh, Brett Wilson was probably one of the most underrated players I've ever seen. You know, he hardly ever did pre-season, would rock, rock up about April and he would kill us in the running and he won, I think, three best and fairest in the time that we won our five flags and he never had the desire to go on and play Devils or anything like that. He was just quite content to do that. So as far as guys I've seen pound for pound, he's probably one of the most underrated players. Um, you go to the Devils and you think of Wingnut, uh Wingnut and uh, Ben Beams were probably the most highly skilled I've ever seen. You know, what they could do at VFL level was, you know, you don't see that in the AFL, the goals they used to mm. kick from the pockets and things like yeah. that. Um, but then you go to guys who just were complete, just brick shit houses in terms of toughness and the way they went about it. You know, Benny Aiken, uh, Matt and Brett Gapham, they were just ferocious. Uh, there wasn't a game they didn't shy away from it and you knew what you were going to get from them in the middle and I think that's probably why the Devils were successful at that time and especially against the opposition was we had guys like that and made the job easy for us fringe blokes that just ran around and did the little tagging jobs or forward yeah. pocket yeah. Um, pressure rolls. That Those guys were just in there busting their ass all the time. Yeah. Did they Were they sort of the ones that would drive the training sessions and stuff as well? Like... 
how does a typical like Burnley training session, how would that compare to <clears throat> one at the Devils? Yeah, look, the intensity of Devils training was a, bit, a little bit of a shock to start with. Um, and then probably a lot of that came back from guys that had come back from AFL level where, you know, if you didn't give someone the ball or you didn't deliver the ball properly, you know, you, know, you certainly got told about it and you had to learn to deal with that pretty quickly. And um, I think that's probably what, made the nose of our team nice and hard was that most of the guys in the team were willing to accept that and that was just the expectation amongst yeah. the group mm. um and if anyone didn't deliver or you shot a contest and you were going to be told about it so you had to step up to the plate and do that every time and i think that was a good look at the time it was a good thing um i certainly don't think it's something that you can use in today's footy with the way generation what i is <laughs> it was Generation Y. It's Generation something else Z, now, is it? isn't it? Is it Z? Yeah, it might be Z. Oh, I don't know. I lost, I've lost track. But yeah, you've, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've all got emotions now. <laughs> and, um, and we have to work thoroughly with that. You know, there's a lot more pampering and making sure you'll be right. You'll, you'll get it right the next time. Yeah. Whereas there was no next time. I think, yeah, Wendy's just um, figured that out after 10 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, also, I've just um, had a thought. You've... With Dogger and Creswell and stuff in the Devils, Dogger's been known to give some good sprays. Can you think of any really good sprays that he's given out or, or Darren Creswell gave out through the Devils? Oh, I can remember one. Yeah, Dogger used to Dogger used to come in and you just knew he had that look going and he'd look around the room and you'd just get that, where is he? Where is he? And, like, everyone would just be going, oh, shit, is he? <laughs> you just start hiding. But I think Creswell... Creza used to give some of the the most personal ones I've ever seen. He used to tell Blake, you're just fat. And it would just be discontinuous, you're fat. And he'd be, God, please don't point me out. And then um, he told Lockie Hanson one day, this is when we had the merger with, uh, North, with North Melbourne. Melbourne. Uh, I think it was Lockie Hanson's first year, so he would have only been 18. And He was a high pick as well. Uh, it, yes, number three pick. This, I this, this goes into my story, yes. He, uh, he basically told him, he said, you are the worst number three pick I've ever seen. <laughs> you are an absolute joke. And <laughs> how the hell did you go at number three? And uh, you just see the North Melbourne um, mind. I can't remember his name now, but he's just standing there and he's like jaws on the ground, his eyes are wide open. I cannot believe him. <laughs> but, yeah, no, look, that's, um, that was part and parcel of coaches back in those days. He just used to tell you that all the time. You know, some of the sprays we used to give out of Bernie were just, that's just the way it was. Yeah. yeah. And then everyone would get on with it and, yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't take it personally, whereas that's probably one of the things now. A lot of the players take it personally when it's more just uh, trying to rev everyone up. He's given out some good ones, Wendy. Can you think of any he's given out here or when you're at Bernie that you saw? Uh, Bernie, uh, Wendy used to give some crackers. Um, Wendy, Wendy used to like to fight, which would surprise a few people listening. <laughs> uh, I can still remember one day, Bernie, uh, Wendy was telling everyone at Bernie that we were playing Clarence and we were going to get out there and you're going to grab the bloke you're on. And you're going to wrestle him. You're going to fight him and we're going to show him. Anyway, I lined up on Peter Ricky. <laughs> if you don't know who Peter Ricky is, he would have weighed probably close to 100 kilos and he was about six foot two. And I just looked at him and went, good luck, mate. <laughs> I looked around, there's people fighting everywhere and he's just looking at me like, you're not going to do it, either. <laughs> and I wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, oh, he expects time. it from you, doesn't yeah. he? Wendy? He's good. He gets the best out of you, though, Wendy. Like mm. he's, I think he's seen differently. Like he's built up to be something that he actually isn't. No, I think that's that's just his persona on the ground. And like we played New Norfolk at West Park one day, and I think within 
10 minutes of the game because back then you had decent crowds like Bernie used to get really good crowds and you mm. could hear the whole crowd go oh and we all look down and here's a bloke from New Norfolk lying flat on his back and there's about five <laughs> blokes running at Windy and there's just left right left <laughs> right anyway a quarter time there's like all these people on the ground uh, looking for something and it turns out that the uh, bloke from New Norfolk was missing his front two teeth <laughs> so we ended up winning that game but that was um, obviously that was well publicised in all the papers and then later on in the year we had a few injuries so we played new norfolk down at boyer and we're a pretty young team and well they were itching for us to come down and norfolk, yep and uh they give it to us that day and um i can remember sitting in the change rooms after the game and they were singing the song and that everyone i think the whole of new norfolk was bashing on the walls and it was only <laughs> that two mil thick plywood <laughs> now bashing it off i've never been so scared of my life <laughs> But that's just look. That's just the way he was. That's the way he played. And um, yeah, no, I don't think he'd ever change that. I mean, he's pretty successful and got mm. a lot out of himself yeah. for doing it. Mm. Do you reckon we'd get bigger crowds these days if we had a bit more of that? Oh well, I uh, I argue this all the time when people go, no, no, we need to to change things in the game. And look, and for for good reasons that there's been a lot of that rubbed out. But you know how my my comment is how popular is MMA now? <laughs> Uh, you know, how yeah. popular is ice hockey? Oh, and that's, that doesn't mean we want everyone going out and king hitting everyone, but I'm pretty sure a few wrestles and a couple of punches every now and then mm. would, uh, would certainly get crowds back. Well, I'm a big fan of ice hockey, and you can actually, you can one-on-one fight. That's, you're allowed in the game, and you only get a five-minute penalty, and it just rules out, so both fight, both ruled out. This is five-on-five still. Yeah. So it actually doesn't yep. really affect the team at all, but it's only got to be one-on-one. It can't be any more. Expanding and get sent off and stuff. I, I certainly think the days. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it yeah. should be an AFL. Yeah, no, no. I'm not saying it should be an AFL, but that's that's a big part of actually that game and yeah. the history in that game. You only have to look at rugby league. I mean, everyone loves watching the state of origin because there's a good chance there's going to be a bit of biffo. Mm. Now, I'm sure that there's always the silent minority that will jump up and down again. We can't have that, but I think a lot of the public love that sort of stuff, and that's why MMA is so huge now. I mean, they just love that. Yeah. They've just been taken out of everything else. Mm. Best player to play Origin? Oh, wowee. I'd have to go with... Uh, I mean, I grew up I grew up watching it in the early 80s when Wally Lewis and that now mm. Langer run around. I mean, Wally was the king. Yeah. Anyone that can get sent off and get the whole grandstand throwing cans on the ground <laughs> has to be some sort of hero. Um, look, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston's would have to be out there too. JT's just a freak. Are there any New do. South Welshmen you like at all? Or just Queenslanders? Um... Oh, you just learn to love them. Mm. Uh, sorry, learn to hate New South yeah. Wales. And, um, yeah, look, they had some good players. I mean, they always had the best teams. They just could never get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Queensland, Queensland spirit, was it? Queensland spirit. I don't know how many times you go back over the years and you say, no, nah, we can't win this when somehow we'd managed to pull yeah. a win out of our ass. And they were the best ones. I thought we were going to do it again last year, but it didn't happen. Yeah. There you go. Well, you've, been, you've had a pretty successful 10 or 15 years, haven't you? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> um, Dale Wish Wilson, mate. Um, I've spoken with yourself and Wendy, and they, this name gets come up all the time. He was a pretty tough bugger, wasn't he? He was. He was a robot. I think he was uh, one of the stunt doubles in Terminator. <laughs> just, he, the, the things he could do. I, I don't think he ever smiled. Is <laughs> this any relation to Ethan? I think he's I like think maybe he is, like a yeah, great second, uncle, maybe second or, or third. Yeah, yeah something, there's some like sort of relation there. Yeah, um, yeah no, Dale was, um, he was scary tough. He was tough as in 
he wouldn't king hit you. He was just tough. Like he could take a, he could smash the hell out of him and get back up and keep going. Never, never shied away from it. Um, I used to see him sitting in the training on a Monday night as an 18-year-old putting a three-inch needle into his knee, draining fluid out so he could get out and train, <laughs> you know, things like that. And poor bugger now probably can't walk from all the times he was doing that. But And obviously there was the uh, the brick incident where he got us handballing bricks yeah. one night and some bloke was pulling their hands away and I can just remember him, don't be soft, don't pull your hands away. And I was like, wow, he's actually serious. Or oh, there was one night walked in the train and he had a bucket of sand and he was just chiffing his hands in there really quickly with his fingers going in the bucket. And it's like, what are you doing, mate? Guys, strengthening up the hands. <laughs> <laughs> just stuff like that. But, and, and you talk about you know, being competitive in drills. Well, he used to run through drills trying to clean you up. Mm. Like, um, that's just the way he played and that's the way he trained. If you're in his way, he's going to knock you over, whether it be fair or not fair. And um, I was lucky enough, I, I was my second time I got called into the seniors in 98 for my second stint. And I had a really good game against North Launceston who went through undefeated. And the next game we were playing, I think it might have been Southern Districts, and uh, I remember warming up, I was sitting there, pumping myself up, and next thing, Wish comes and scruffs me by the jumper and throws me up against the lock, and he goes, don't you be a fucking one-game wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I went out and didn't get a kick that game. <laughs> I was already fearing for my yeah, life. Yeah, 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 so that, yeah, pretty much. I think if I had a couple more games, I was back to the twos again. <laughs> but that's just the way he was, and um, he was tough. He was a very tough man. Yeah, I love that. Is it true you used to eat nails, a bowl of nails for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> With no milk. <laughs> but yeah, no, look, he, it would surprise me what he'd done. It's funny, I coached one of his sons, Zach, uh, under 17. He was a talented footballer as well, but he was nothing like he was dad. He was so polite and one of the nicest kids you'll ever meet, where his dad was just, yeah, the complete opposite. Um, but Wish, definitely a, a legend of the Northwest yeah. Coast. And if you'd ever get a, someone on here, I highly recommend yeah. He'd be great. I'd love to get him on if we can get him on one day. Well, mm. if you... I, I know Wendy's got some good stories about him. Yeah, but if you so talk to people that know footy, I mean, him and Andy Goodwin and guys like that, I mean, they were the footy in the 80s and 90s. That's... Yeah. Everyone remembers them. Yeah, right. We'll have to get him down or we'll have to make the trip up. How was the game on the weekend? The Oh, the, the Legends game? Oh, yeah, it was a bit of fun. Yeah. It's a bit of a... Uh, Wigo sticks me on the Victorian Allies team because I was born in Queensland. So, you know, you're travelling along on the bus and you've got Ange Christou sitting there. You've got Paul Hudson Ooh. sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> Christou. Yeah. You've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got uh, Dane Swan, um, Brad Sewell, you know, guys like yeah. that. Uh, Dion Scott. I heard it was you and Swanee that decided that Tassie weren't going to win on the weekend. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think it was me. No, I think it was more um, Goose McGuire. Uh, someone said, you know, come on, fellas, we've never won one of these He's before. Goose. And Goose is gone. No, nah, well, it's not happening today then. <laughs> it's not happening. Three-quarter time, I think we were about 30, 35 points up. And um, they go, we're not going to let him win today. And don't let Russell Robinson kick a goal. <laughs> <laughs> so Whitey and Mickey O'Loughlin decided that that, that wasn't going to happen. We sort of let him get it back in for the crowd, but yeah. it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, mate, where do you see Tassie footy at the minute? Obviously, there's a bit of stuff going on with an AFL team and potentially a VFL team coming in, and you've played VFL footy. Um, so where do you see the, the footy landscape and where would you like to see it go? Yeah, look, it's, uh, that's a tough one, and I don't know what the right answers and what the wrong answers are. You see a lot of people sitting on there saying how it's great that we've got the Mariners back. 
uh, full time. Um, but we, I don't think we saw the fruits of that last year in terms of draftees. Um, everyone says we need to get the Devils back, but I mean, my argument is Tassie's pretty Tassie footy's pretty thin now in terms of talent. And if you take the best forty-four players out in the under-18s in the VFL every week to go over and play in Melbourne, then it's not really leaving a lot over here. I mean, you're seeing clubs fold left, right and centre. So if, you, if you're taking players out, then that's just less players to pick yeah. from, less players to find. And I'm not sure it could work. I think the Devils was a good thing at the time because you had a lot of guys that had come back from AFL who were sort of around the 24-25 mark that were really competitive. In the right age bracket. Um, but, you know, you're, you're coming up against professional footballers week in, week out, and you're always going to have the argument of where do you base everyone? Do you get the guys? You know, North Launceston's so strong, Lonnie's so strong. They're going to make up a fair chunk of the squad. So do you get them to relocate to Hobart? Do you get Hobart people to re- relocate up there? You got to find them work. It's 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 just a huge effort to to get it up and going. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Um, hopefully the Mariners can start to turn around. But I, I think the whole thing with the Mariners is you just if, you, if you're lucky to get through a group of talented players in one hit, and that's generally what happens. You'll see four or five get drafted one year. The next year you only see one or two. Yeah, population's decreasing down here, which is always yeah. a bit of a worry. Um, a lot of people are starting to go play other sports, soccer, basketball. They've got a huge following, so you lose a lot of talented kids. I know, you know, one of Port Adelaide's biggest recruiting things is they'll go and look for players that play other sport. You know, can we can we identify some kids coming through um, basketball and things like that that we might be able to to mould into a footballer? And that's that's where they're looking now outside of the square. Yeah. It is pretty big now, basketball, isn't it? Like everyone loves NBA and all the kids yep. are wearing NBA jerseys and whatnot. Yep, it's mm. um, it's, it's it's in your face all the time. You know, yeah, your social media. There's replays of things left, right, and center. Mm. Um, your access to it's not what it used to be. I mean, growing up, you get NBA every Saturday at twelve o'clock, which was one game, and then you were watching. You'd watch late news to get the scores or a few highlights. And that was it, whereas now you've just got it all the time. Yeah, so now if you've got a little bit of money in your sports bet account, you can watch it at work, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> you only need a dollar. Not naming, <laughs> not naming any names. Just need <laughs> a dollar. <laughs> not, not pointing any fingers. Um, just to finish, we've got a few stories. Um, your brother, Trav, who we've spoken about earlier, he's sent a few through. But there's also a good story that we know here at Lauderdale and a few of the Hutchins boys would know, just around um, Lewis Franks and Windy, if, you, if you're willing to tell that one. Yeah, so it turns out uh, Franksy and Windy have got a nice little love-hate relationship. Uh, Windy was trying to get Franksy down to the club when I first got here. I said he'd be definitely one you'd go after, so Windy obviously contacted him a few times. And when uh, Lewis gets a few drinks into his system, he gets a little bit, um, or what's the word? Courageous. Yeah, he does. <laughs> That's probably the one. Elusive. He likes to try and challenge himself to see if he can upset a few people. And um, there's cl- uh, guys at other old scholars clubs that love to see Franksie out on a Saturday night. <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> Lewis reckons that it wasn't him, but allegedly it was. And he posted something on his Facebook page or on Wendy's page, which um, mentioned Wendy's wife. And upset Wendy, obviously. Yes. <laughs> because a lot of people see it. Uh, obviously, Wendy's wife and all her friends see it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, yeah, so Wendy uh, found out where Franksy worked. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> he, he, finds, he finds out everything, Wendy. Yeah, he can't he do is, nothing without finding out. He's Mrs. Mangle. You two wouldn't remember Mrs. Mangle. Well, she was the gossiper in Neighbours when it first came out. <laughs> so anyway, Wendy's uh, knocked on the door and. 
the receptionist went and got Franksy and he said, oh, I'll come outside. And Wendy said, no, no, we're going to talk right here. So I think he took him into a room and basically said, if you ever message me again or do anything on social media that involves me, I'll be back here again <laughs> and it won't be to talk. <laughs> anyway, Wendy got out and I think he messaged me within five minutes. He goes, tell me how long it takes him to message her. <laughs> and I said, he's ringing me now. <laughs> <laughs> so Wendy had a bit of fun out of that. He's a, he's a pretty pretty good bloke when it comes to that. Like, I'm sure he's had heaps of people give him a hard time out in the town or on on the field, and he's pretty thick skinned. Mm. He's now have anyway. Have to have thick skin, don't you? Oh yeah. This <laughs> day and age. Uh, one from Trav. He asked us to ask you how long it takes to run from Sirocco's <laughs> to Nile Street. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's about one, one and a half k. I think I got there in two minutes. One night, <laughs> he uh, this was when I first came down to Bernie, and he mentioned that he had a few friends around the house, <laughs> and I couldn't get a taxi, so I ran. <laughs> Good one, Trav. Good one here, Trav. You probably wouldn't be the first one. Um, last one as well. How did you get the nickname, <laughs> the postcard bandit? <laughs> I don't think I got the nickname. This is just, <laughs> just true stretched a little bit. I think uh, one of the young lads on the footy troop uh, must have uh, met a girl away and uh, she's asked him for, for his address and somehow he got mine. So she got mine. So next thing I had postcards coming into, uh, into my letterbox asking me how it was. Love and, letters. Yeah. It wasn't my name on them, so, yeah. So anyway, Trav, I show Trav, we go, who the hell would have done this? And Trav's gone, you're Brendan Abbott. You're the postcard bandit. <laughs> how so, long ago must have this been to send postcards to someone? Oh, <laughs> early 2000s, would you come down? Late 90s. Oh, late 90s. 90s. I don't, no one ever claimed responsibility for it. I'm, uh... My finger's pointing at Matty Waldridge. <laughs> I definitely think it's something he would have done. But, yeah, no, postcards must have been a thing back then. Mate, that's all we've got, unless you want to add anything else. No, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and I enjoy listening to the podcast you guys have done so far. I hope it keeps going. Um, get, a, get a few more big names on there yeah. other than myself. <laughs> yeah, we're struggling this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. We've, um, we've got a few in mind that'll be handy. Um, obviously, there's a few down here, and we'll, at some stage we'll get the great man Windy on, but there's also some fantastic footballers up north on the northwest coast on the mainland oh, and down the track we'd love to be able to get great mm. names on the northwest coast i reckon you guys could touch into um you know you go to the west coast too down around queenstown areas like that i'm sure there's some <laughs> legends down there down you the tap, tap into oh yeah let's not talk about that <laughs> we'll have to get a podcast bus well we've got heaps of time on weekends now oh exactly air conditioner game yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll try that we'll try that one <laughs> But no, but um, thanks for yeah, thanks for coming in, Brownie. Giving up your time. I know right. you're a busy man. So, so yeah, very busy. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully people enjoy it. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks guys. Mate.